I'm able to take a step back and evaluate a situation without emotion. That's a, a key thing is removing emotion from, yeah. from shooting. Cause that's such an easy thing for people to, to latch onto is like, they let go like, Oh, it's in the blue. Darn it. This sucks. I suck. This is horrible. But if you remove that and you're like, you shoot, that's a six. Why was that a six? Did I do this? Did I do that? Okay. We're going to just try to do it better this time. And then you just go forward from there. Um, okay. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Wild Strength Podcast, where we talk about all things wild and all things strength and everything in between. Today, my guest is Robbie. I actually don't know that I know how to pronounce your last name. How do you say your last name? Weisinger. Weisinger. Okay, that's what I thought, but I didn't want to totally just murder it. Robbie Weisinger. And Robbie's walk-up song is Pickin' Wild Flowers by Keith Anderson. So we're going to kick off the episode with that, and then we'll get into things. Oh, God. Wrong button. Wrong button. Oh. Such a good song. Right? Yeah. I'm half half of mine to just leave it playing the whole time. Okay. You don't even need to hear the words. Like, just that part itself nope. is like, oof. That's a good one. All right. Like I said, we have Robbie Weisinger on here. Um, I've mentioned in previous episodes how, like, I hate social media, but I've met so many cool people through social media. Um, and Robbie happens to be one of those people. Um, and yeah, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself, tell people who you are, what you do, and we'll get into it. So I'm, I'm Robbie Weisinger. And uh, the main thing anybody needs to know about me is I shoe bows. Uh, that consumes the majority of my life. I'm a pro shooter for Hoyt and a pile of other companies. I shoot competitive barebow archery, and I'm an avid hunter. So that's about it, man. That's all I got. I was joking before we started recording that he was going to say, I'm Robbie and I shoot bows, and that's pretty much what he just said. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I we've kind of talked about this a little bit before, um, but what did you start shooting bows before you started hunting, or did you start hunting before you started shooting bows? So... I I live in Iowa, and we have a, a youth season. I think most states do, but mm. um, I started hunting when I was young enough to be in the youth season. I used the gun um, growing up. My family hunts. Our house looks like, excuse me, looks like a Cabela's. So it's I've been around hunting pretty much my entire life. Uh, I didn't get start getting into bow hunting until I was probably in middle school or high school, and I started bow hunting about the same time I started like target shooting competitively target shooting yeah and when did you like at what point did you want to do it professionally or did you want to take target shooting so seriously that you wanted to compete in it um I think it was around I think it was 2012 because I watched the the London Olympics and uh, the people that were shooting for Team USA, one of them was, you know, like me. He had long, shaggy blonde hair, shooting this really cool uh, gold Olympic recurve. And I just remember thinking, like, how cool would that be? And my brother and I would, you know, watch YouTube and we would watch all the professional archers shooting uh, compound and recurve. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And we started shooting competitively through NASP. I don't know if you know much about NASP, but it's the mm -hmm. little Genesis bows. You shoot at That's 10 cool. and 15 meters. That's where we started. That's where I started the competitive side of it. And watching the other, those other guys do that stuff, I just, it's just the coolest thing in the world, man. I just wanted to do that. So when I was, I think 16, 16 or 17, I picked up a recurve bow for the first time and I shot Olympic style recurve. So I had like long stabilizers on the bow. I had a sight, I had a clicker that told me when to let go, all the fancy stuff. Um, and I did that pretty much all through college. And then when did you start shooting bare bow? So I started shooting bare bow after COVID hit. Because I, I graduated college in 20. Mm -hmm. um, and all of my plans were kind of just shut down. From that point, there was no tournaments. 
Olympic recurve is something that's it's difficult to do well and it's difficult to maintain if you're not working really hard at it. And mm-hmm. I was like, this kind of sucks that there's nothing going on and I'm working really hard. So I'm just going to probably put this away for a little bit. And I did. And I hunted that whole fall. Um, COVID was a blast for hunting, man. It was awesome. <laughs> I you bet. Just do I picked up hunting crazy. right after COVID. So I was late to the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then that following winter, tournaments were starting to come back. South Dakota was one of the first ones to start marching forward with that without big mm-hmm. restrictions like wearing masks and what have you. And I was like, that'll be cool. I went to school in South Dakota. I got lots of friends up there. So I was like, I'll go hang out with my buddies. I'll go shoot. We'll have a great time. And I picked up my Olympic recurve bow for like five minutes. I'm like, this sucks. I do not want to do this. So I took all the sights off of it, all the sights and stabilizers. Yeah. And basically what you're left with, I have it sitting back here because I'm packing up the tournament. It's something like this. Recurve bow, no sights, bunch of weight on the bow. And I aim with the point of the arrow. And I that was my first tournament doing it. I've always wanted to try it before then because the people are so awesome in Barebow. I, mm-hmm. I had a lot of friends prior. And uh, when I made the decision to change, I just called a few of them up and I was like, hey, how do I do this? Teach me everything you know. And that's kind of where it started. So you started shooting, a, I imagine, a compound bow. Then you went mm-hmm. to the recurve and then you went to bear. What is the transition from, I know the transition from compound to recurve is vast because I've done that before and it's hard. <laughs> um, so maybe you can talk about that a little bit, but also from recurve to bare bow. Yeah. So when I, <coughs> excuse me, when I started shooting, it was with a Genesis bow, which is technically a compound bow. Yeah. Right? I've it's got that. the wheels, mm-hmm. um, cables, all that stuff, but you shoot with your fingers you don't have a release and you don't right, have a sight. Right. So I, I started off shooting barebow. It just looked a lot different than what mm-hmm. I do now. Okay. That's true. Um, so I, I obviously had, I had a hunting compound that I shot with and I kind of grew up shooting both of those side by side. I obviously, mm-hmm. I didn't shoot my hunting bow until a month before season. So I get all sighted and all that stuff. And I shot my, um, school bow all through the winter months. And then I didn't really shoot anything in the summer. Archery wasn't quite an obsession yet. It was just something cool that I did sometimes. <clears throat> um, but when I went from like NASP to Olympic recurve, there's a lot of things that changed. You have a clicker, you have a sight. Um, the bow's a lot heavier to pull back. The Genesis bows are like a 20 pound max. Mm-hmm. And I think I started at like 35. So 15 pound jump, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're shooting lots of arrows a day, it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I, I grew up doing it, like I did it all through high school, I don't really remember the transition being very difficult. Okay. But I can I can definitely attest with people that I've helped. Some people like to shoot a, a bear bow or a recurve now because they've seen me do it and they think it's really cool. And I help them out with it, and it's it's quite a transition, especially to somebody who hasn't shot yeah. with their fingers before. So the compound is – what's that? No, no, go ahead. A compound's fairly easy to shoot, right? Once you get some basic things down, because mm-hmm. it's a machine, and the machine does the same thing every time. Whereas with mm-hmm. with the recurve bow, it's very the arrow's flight is very dependent on you. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yeah. to an extent, it is with the compound as well. But how you cut the string off of your fingers every time makes a huge difference in, in impact and tune and all kinds of different stuff. And there's no fixed drawing. Oh, that's very true. You mentioned, I actually didn't even know that until you just showed just now, uh, the weights that are on the bare bow. Obviously, normally when you have weights on a compound or even a target bow, it's in stabilizer format. Um, I didn't know that the weights looked like that on the bare bows. How much, like, what does that affect? So per our rules, we have to fit this bow, this riser through a 122 centimeter ring, or I'm not, I'm sorry, a 12.2 centimeter ring. So okay. it's roughly, roughly this big. I got to fit the whole bow through it to keep in the, the spirit of the sport. That's how we follow our rules. So we can't put a stabilizer on this bow. Mm-hmm. Per, per our rules, we can't have a stabilizer, but we still want to make the bow hold steady. So we put weights in different spots and there's a bunch of, this, bunch of the different companies that have different kinds of weights. Hmm. Um, 
just to make sure the bow sits nice and still at full draw. So like this is, as you can see, a Hoyt weight. This is a special mm -hmm. one they designed this year for the these bows. These are tungsten weights from Ramrod's Archery, and then you can't see it, but I have a weight inside this limb pocket right in here as well. So I do all those things to get the bow to balance, to sit well, and when the shot breaks, react the way I want to. And when you go back, I know this past weekend you shot your hunting bow in a competition that you did, and I don't know that I asked this, but going back to a compound and shooting your hunting bow, do you feel like you have to practice a little bit just to get the feel of it? Or is it like, man, this is so easy that it's, <clears throat> it's not worth it? Um, there is definitely a little bit of practice because I hadn't shot that bow since I, I killed my deer in November. Yeah. Um, I shoot 80 pounds on a Hoyt RX-7 Ultra. 80 pounds is a lot. And when you're not shooting it very often – it's definitely uh it takes a little bit of getting used to but there was just some things that just how how i apply pressure to the bow my pressure distribution when i'm pushing and pulling trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to get that pin to sit nice and still the shooting aspect of it i feel is is fairly easy it's just getting that pin to sit still the bow will do the same thing every time and the mm -hmm. arrow is going to land behind the pin because i spend a lot of time tuning it setting up i've spent a lot of time behind that bow to get it to do what i want it to do you just it probably takes me a half hour to remember exactly what needs to happen and how we get that pin to sit still no that makes sense and you coach kids too so if you're mm -hmm. like working with whether it's a kid or someone who's like never really shot before and they're starting and, and we've kind of had similar conversations also um and th they're kind of just starting out like what are the first like things that you would maybe like coaching cues or first things you would tell them about drawing back for the first time what was mm -hmm. it the the cues you gave me were um i focus and execute i focus and execute yeah <laughs> That's I know a little higher level. I wouldn't I know teach that, that yeah, to somebody That's right more high, higher level for sure. Um, but yeah, for someone who's like kind of just getting into, or even maybe someone who's done it for years and they've never really taken the time to like sit down and think about this more seriously. Um, mm -hmm. What are some, some things you would tell them on? <clears throat> so when I, it's a very open-ended question. When I'm working with somebody, I look at like, if it's somebody who's just starting, I walk them through the basics of, you know, how yeah. they grab the bow, where, how they grab the string, what they do with their front arm, where they're supposed to put this hand in the back. And then I kind of just let them shoot a little bit and I'll make corrections from there. If it's somebody who's shot for a little bit, you know, I, I watch to see what they do. And I look for inconsistencies in things that really make a difference. We go from the big problems down to the smallest problems. It's so like, if mm -hmm. you're not anchoring the same every time, wherever this is, if you're not anchoring the same, whether it be with a Genesis bow where you haven't used your fingers or a release and you're not in the same spot, that's going to make a huge impact difference when you're shooting. Mm -hmm. If you're, you know, clutching the bow super hard, that's going to make an impact difference. So we fix the big things first, whatever they may be. And we try to just, we shift some, we shift it into something that's more repeatable. That's the whole game with archery is how repetitive, how consistent can we get something to be? How often can we repeat this perfectly? <clears throat> you could you could theoretically shoot a bow like this and do well, right? With your yeah, hand way away from your face. But you'd have to do it the yeah. same every time. That's why we bring everything in so we can line everything up. Yeah. We look through a peep. We line up circles, right? Is to create the repeatability. So when I'm working with somebody, I just try to find those big things that we can make more repeatable so that they're hitting better groups. Because at the end of the day, that's what makes it more enjoyable, right? Is when we hit the middle more often, yeah. it makes it way more fun yeah. to shoot bows. Nobody likes to spray think, arrows everywhere. Yeah, I would think most times, and anyone can speak to this, even if you're just picking a bow for the very first time, when you're not hitting the middle, like you almost don't want to pick it back up. <laughs> No matter, like, I remember, and I think I've maybe mentioned this before on another podcast, but I, when I first started shooting, I have like a hyperextended elbow and maybe I've talked to you about this too. Um, I have a hyperextended elbow and I would slap my arm all the time. Like I was hitting middle, but I would just slap my arm really bad because I couldn't get it out of the way. But the, 
addiction is the only word that's coming to mind. <laughs> I guess it's like mm-hmm. just you can see that success downrange and that immediate feedback that you get from seeing when your where your arrow went is so addicting. <laughs> it is. Yeah, when you when somebody has like a little more body awareness, not necessarily a beginner, but when you when you have that feeling of like a perfect shot and it goes right in the middle, I can't I can't name a more addicting thing in my life. That's what keeps me coming back. I'm like, I want more of that. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So when I've shot recurve before it was due to injury and I just was doing it for shits and giggles, but I kind of wanted to get <coughs> decent at it. But I think I got a little too anxious and went right back to my compound bow because I knew I was good at it. But where I struggled and the very first time I ever drew a recurve back, like I think the yard, the target was only 10 yards in front of me. And I missed it entirely. I was shooting at like a foam animal and I missed it entirely. And I didn't understand the concept. And honestly, it's still to this day, don't really understand of, and you mentioned that when you were first kind of giving a description of like, was it looking down the arrow or aiming with the arrow? Mm-hmm. So are you like quite literally looking down the arrow when you yes. So. Right? I'll grab my finger tab here. I've got all of my stuff. This, yeah, this computer is on my bed. I leave at 2 a.m. tomorrow for a big event. So all my stuff's on my bed. So this is my finger tab. This is what I grab the string with. This is kangaroo leather. I have a ring mm-hmm. that I put on my finger, and I grab the string like this. So I have a ruler on here. So I go okay. at a very specific distance up and down from the arrow. So I'll go right underneath the knot. I don't know if you can see that like that. Like my 20 yard crawl is about there. So I slide down the string. And if you can see, mm. there's the knots where the arrows go. So what this does yeah, is this changes okay. the angle of the arrow. So it'll hit. Mm. It'll hit. I aim right on all the time. And this is called string walking. This is something that's widely adopted in barebow shooting. <coughs> um not recommended for hunting to have like variable variable crawls but so if i grab it right here and i anchor in the corner of my mouth that arrow is going to be pointed up right if mm-hmm. i go to my 20 yard crawl and i anchor the same way that arrow is closer to my eyeball so i shifted mm-hmm. everything up so i can aim at the middle the whole time and then i do a whole bunch of other stuff with the bow to get it to shoot good left and right but that's the primary way that we shoot shoot bear bow. Wow. Now, with like a it Genesis does. bow, with a Genesis bow or what a lot of people do with trad shooting mm-hmm. is uh, they know what their gap is. So they know the gap between the point of the arrow and their intended target mm. for a certain distance. So like okay. at, 20, at 20 yards with a hunting setup, you may need to aim 20 inches. 24 inches below your intended target. And that is, it's so, just learn that through repetition? Yes. Well, you learn that just by shooting your bow and learning where it hits. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that's a very common thing out west is just learning your, your gaps and learning like what you call a, a point on. So at what exact yardage does the point of your arrow – whoa, that was weird. Does what? the point of your arrow – does the point of your arrow act as your direct sight? So that, say, like, a lot of hunters that I know, it's somewhere between, like, 30 and 40, based off their poundage and arrow weight. So, like, at 36 yards, you put that point of the arrow right on what you want to hit, you make a good shot, and that's where the arrow goes. But at 20 yards, you have to aim underneath it. Is that starting to make sense? No, that makes total sense. And I, and I think when I was doing it, my thought is – Honestly, I had no thoughts the first time I did. <laughs> what made sense when I drew back was to put it right on the target, which is probably <laughs> why I missed entirely. Um, because like you said, there is kind of that gap. And granted, I wasn't the first time I did it. It was just <clears throat> see, like I said, I had an injury and it was to see what it felt like when I drew back just kind of a lighter <clears throat> weight. Um, but I still nonetheless was upset I missed the target. Right. Um, but I never knew, yeah, I never knew about that pin gap. So I'm assuming, I mean, it's just like with the compound bow and you have a sight mm-hmm. where like. Yeah, the sight's elevated. If you looked at the point of your arrow, your point's way below anything that you're trying to hit. That's so true. It's the right. same concept. 
I never understood too when I first started shooting when like maybe you're trying to get sighted in or maybe you're just testing a bow out and you don't even have a sight on um, and you think or me and you, I don't know if this applies to everyone but when I would draw back um, and I think like I'm targets 20 yards downrange I'm for sure gonna hit this target it's massive and the person standing next to me is like you should probably bring this down because you're definitely not gonna hit the target so I like when I think about it that way especially like in I mean that could be with a compound bow or a recurve um, I feel like that would make yeah not having a sight seemingly impossible to me because I've never done it um, but yeah I, I guess it like you said it takes just getting the reps in it and shooting your bow and seeing where it goes, where you're holding it. Um, so in a competition for bear bow, what is the longest yardage that you'll shoot out to or distance? I guess that's so, what I'm looking for. Like in, in world archery, <coughs> um, we'll shoot out to 50 meters. That's the furthest we'll shoot. And we'll do that for what we call FIDA. So it's a great big yellow bullseye, like the, okay. the multicolored face, but the gold's like this big. Okay. The ten, the ten rings, you know, the size of like a peewee football, or a CD. The ten rings, the size of a CD. That's a more accurate comparison. People might know what CDs look like still. <laughs> um, and we shoot, and we stand on a line, and we shoot seventy-two arrows at it, at fifty meters, just back and forth all day. And then there's another game we play that we shoot that far. It's called field archery, and okay. it's a range of it's a range of distances. It's my favorite game. I love field. That's my jam, right? Mm -hmm. So you shoot anywhere from five meters to 50 meters at varying size targets. So at five meters, the, the bullseye is roughly like, you know, that big, the innermost scoring ring. Whereas at 50 meters, it's roughly that big, the innermost scoring ring. And you do that. You walk through the woods, half of its known distance, half of its unknown distance, Mm. You're shooting uphills, downhills, side hills, through the trees, all kinds of fancy stuff at varying target distances. That's where the, the crawls come in because mm. I have a okay. sight, right? My arrow's my sight and this is my mm. sight tape. So when other people dial their sight, I crawl further up and down based off the distance. Mm. See, I did not know that that was a thing. Um, the f- field archery, is that what you called it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I think is the, I think that's something that's really popular in oh my goodness I believe she is in the United Kingdom possibly. Um, there's a girl who will message me from time to time and I see her posting doing that all the time and she's like you should come out here and shoot bear bow and I'm like I would love to I'm gonna be terrible at it but I would love to <laughs> like that looks like so much fun. Well, you know a lefty, you know a lefty with bear bow rigs. That's the <laughs> cool part. Yes, that is. That's a, a strong advantage. Um, so yeah, I guess that's like kind of a the 3D target shooting of barebow. Yes, kind of right. It it's like a 3D shoot. You walk through the woods, you shoot at targets, and then you move on to the next target. We shoot 3D as well. We'll have like 3D tournaments. They're quite popular mm-hmm. with barebow as well. Do you ever go and shoot those? <clears throat> so I I think the last one I did. I was on the the world championship team for field and 3D in 2022. So I went to both world championships. The one was in 3D was in Italy. That was super cool. Yeah. Italy's awesome. I shot in the mountains there shooting 3D animals. That's so cool. Which is super. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was probably the last time I've shot 3D with a bare bow. Like we have 3D stuff here all the time. You know, in the summer, we have winter leagues, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I kind of, I ran out of my train of thought there. <laughs> no, what was the question? <laughs> we were just talking about shooting, uh, like, is the the field archery, like, the 3D target shooting of bare bows? Dang. It looks, yep. it looks like tons yep. of fun. And, she you know, compound, compound shooters do it, too. Compound and Olympic recurve. All all three of those disciplines go to the world championships. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess I've seen it. I don't know why I'm acting like that's news to me. (laughs) Um, I had a question that I was like thinking of as you were talking. And then when you lost your train of thought, I also lost my train. Very nice. 
just what a team. Yeah, what a team. We're, we're crushing it here. Um, I did kind of want to touch on, and we've had conversations on this as well. Um, archery is a huge mental sport. So like the mental side of the game, um, is there, and you were kind of saying recently, uh, like imagery and, and uh, imagining yourself shooting and imagining yourself winning. And that's something that's can be really helpful in like all sports, but, um, and, and I know this is true for me and I know this is true for you. Cause I've heard you talk about it. Like when you're just not shooting well, it's so easy to get into your head and to beat yourself up and to get down on yourself, which can further continue to make you shoot worse versus making you shoot better. Um, how easy or hard is the mental game for you, especially like when you're in an actual competition or a tournament? And, and what do you kind of do to maybe combat those negative, the negative mindset of like, all right, I'm not shooting well and I need to shoot better? So the first part of the question is that it gets better with time, right? And it gets better with age. I'm 25 right now, almost 26. And I feel like there's a lot of maturity that happens in the time span that I, I've been shooting. Okay. So I've been shooting, you know, like these big boy bows, Olympic, bow hunter, bear bow, all of this since the age of 16. So for the last decade, maturity wise, I have, I have changed quite a bit and that makes the mental game a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I'm able to take a step back and evaluate a situation without emotion. That's a, a key thing is removing emotion from yeah. from shooting because that's such an easy thing for people to to latch on to is like they let go like ah oh, it's in the blue darn it this sucks i suck this is horrible but if you remove that and you're like you shoot that's a six why was that a six did i do this did i do that okay we're gonna just try to do it better this time and then you just go forward from there if you approach stuff with logic and curiosity it generally goes much, much better. So that's one thing that I've learned on the, the mental side. The other side is learning of a shot process, steps. Mm-hmm. We're taught them from a very young age. Yeah. You know, the, ele- the 11 steps of shooting was the first thing you learn when you shoot NASP in school, whether it's in a gymnasium or at a local club. Almost every bow shop has a picture <laughs> of the 11 steps yeah. on yeah. the board, starting from knock, going all the way through to reflection or stance all the way through to reflection mm-hmm. after the shot. And it doesn't need to be 11 steps, but there does need to be a roadmap, right? So for me, it's anchor, aim, action. <clears throat> so when I'm coming into anchor, I check that everything feels good. Everything that I've spent thousands and thousands of arrows perfecting in, in my form up to that point and then we anchor we're checking that everything's good then we get to our aim and then once we get to the aim we get to our action the action is whatever gets your shot to go so whether that's you're you know pulling against a thumb button wrapping your finger on a trigger and gently squeezing it a hinge release where you're rolling it over mm-hmm. squeezing your back with a, a bare bow or a recurve till a clicker pops off or um you know, whenever your your brain says to cut it loose, those are those are like the three main steps. So it's everything up until the anchor. Then we aim, and then we do the action that gets the shot to go. So that's what I kind of revert back to whenever I'm in a high stress situation. Because at the end of the day, that's all I can control. Even if I get up there and I'm like, shaking at full draw because I'm so nervous. Yeah. That the only thing I can control is is following my process. If I step up and I follow my process and I mess up and I miss, I don't win, you know, what else could I have done differently? Absolutely nothing because I followed all of my steps. And when I realized that, things got a lot easier for me, especially mm-hmm. in the high pressure situations. Yeah. And then no. it applies to hunting as, hunting as well because mm-hmm. when that deer walks out in front of you, most people are shitting bricks. Right, or you finally get that bull in front of you, you stalk up over the hill, and this buck is bedded at however far, and you have the perfect opportunity, and you're at full draw. It's like da, da, da. the only thing you can control is your process, how you mentally walk through your shot. 
And that's the most important part. Your body's going to do everything the way it's supposed to. That's, that's not going to be a worry. If you're proficient enough to be in the woods or that you're in a high level at a tournament where you're shooting off for something in head-to-head matches or <clears throat> in a one-arrow shoot-off, what have you, you're proficient enough to, to do that. Your body knows what it's doing, but you have to control this so that it's a, your shot is controlled as possible. And we talked about this in depth as well. That's where we go back to that cue that you're talking about. I focus and execute. Mm-hmm. I focus is simply aiming. When we stare at what we want to hit and we let that pin float around, or in my case, the arrow point float around, nice and gentle, and I just stare at, stare at the gold, stare at the crease in the shoulder. If you find a hair or a clump of dirt on the critter that you're aiming at, whatever it is, I focus and the action, execute. I focus and execute. And if you do those things, right, that's the best it's going to go, period. That's the best that shot could ever possibly go. There's no way that you could physically make it better. So if you follow those steps, regardless of what you're into, target shooting or killing stuff, that's how I would mentally approach stuff. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I'm going to take it back just a little bit because you started, and I would definitely agree with removing emotions from it. Um, And I know Mm -hmm. myself and probably most people can relate when you let emotions get involved, like everything is downhill from there. And I think it's one of those things that is definitely easier said than done. (laughs) Even mentioned uh, like over time and with maturity and as you've gotten older, that's gotten easier. Uh, But do you still find times where whether you're in a hunting situation or you're in a competition, um, that emotions do start to take over. And, and if so, what do you kind of do to tell yourself like, all right, emotions are hot. I, I really got to slow this down. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, cause, um, I have a lot of expectations for myself and mm-hmm. I have to keep that kind of stuff in check. And when I don't meet those expectations, I, I get bummed out and hard on myself, all of those things. And, None of that helps. So I have to, for me, I have to talk myself back to what do I need to do to shoot the bow the best I can right now. Mm -hmm. So I do get, I will get upset or emotional about a bad shot. And generally, and I've been very good about this the last couple of years is when I, when I mess up a shot, the next one's right in the middle. I generally don't let it affect me. I will revert back to what I need to do. That doesn't mean the arrow after that's going to be good, but the arrow directly Mm -hmm. after a bad shot, I generally get that control back. And I, I just have to tell myself, like, you got to go back to the process. Just shoot your bow. I've done this forever. I can't change anything right now. I just have to do what I know how to do. And it will be enough. I have to shoot my average do what my body knows how to do and run through the mental process. My mind knows how to do. Yeah. It's just a reminder. It's just a reminder, you know, and the, the uh, looking at things objectively part that just takes a lot of practice. That takes a lot of practice in tournament or tournament and practice sessions because everybody can get frustrated or just look like what the frick, (laughs) why did that go there? And they have their little stomping match, little pissy party, and then they go back to shooting. But you have to be able to, when that shot breaks and it doesn't go where you want it to, you have to look inward, either up here or in your body, or really just analyze the entire shot of what went wrong in that and how can I fix it. Because yeah, it's, I just, think it's a simple input-output, right? Yeah. I sure. do this, I get this. Which is why I, and I've had this conversation with someone before, I love archery because (laughs) autism here, (laughs) uh, like you get that immediate (laughs) feedback with everything that you do, right? So you know where you can make adjustments as long as as you know what you're doing, right? If you've been doing it long Mm -hmm. enough, you can be like, oh, maybe my anchor was down a little bit more than it should have been, or maybe I jerked the trigger on my release or... something like that. And you get that immediate feedback with every single shot that you make. And that's so rewarding is the word that I is coming to mind, but definitely not the word that I'm looking for. Um, But I think it can be used as a really good, like if you never want to hunt, if you never want to compete a really good, just like 
life learning tool for that reason. Um, Cause like you said, you get that feedback and you adjust and, and remove emotions from that. Because as long as you have emotions involved in that, you're not going to be able to probably make the adjustments that you need to hit the center every single time or, or consistently at least. Um, and yeah, I think like I always tell people the more, and, and I've, clearly not done it nearly as long as you have. Um, but even like in the amount of time that I've done it, the longer that I do it, I just feel like there's like life lessons that can be taken away from it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Oh, I had one other thing to say. You got this. <laughs> I don't know that I do. I don't uh, know that I do. You got it. It's just gone. Do a little it's like gone. knock on your head and it'll come back. <laughs> um, Did it work? It was. Oh, okay. Here we go. It's back. The, it the last piece with, yeah, the last piece with like <laughs> the mental game is being brutally honest with yourself. And when I say brutally honest, yeah. I don't mean like you suck at this type of brutal honesty. It is the, was that shot really as good as it could have been? Was it really what you were capable of physically and mentally? Yeah. And a lot, a lot of people in the middle ground will do this. Okay. The beginners are, don't really know what they're doing enough. And the top people have figured it out. But a lot of people in this middle ground, they're not honest with themselves. They mm -hmm. blame equipment. They blame conditions. Mm -hmm. Anything but themselves. Mm. And I've, I'm definitely been guilty of that, but it's just something you learn over time. I have both of my bows that are sitting behind the camera right now. They're both dialed. If I do my job, they'll shoot well enough to win any tournament I step up to, but I have to do my job. Mm -hmm. That's the yeah. key. Yeah. That's the key. <clears throat> and when I make a mistake, when I'm trying to tune or figure something out, if I'm not brutally honest with myself, it only prolongs the process because these bows are set up super, super well. And if I go and I shoot like crap and I blame the bows, that's not it. That's not the case. They both, they both group 10 rings. Mm -hmm. So if I start blaming the equipment and tearing stuff down, I'm going to keep chasing a tune for something that's not a tune problem. It's a, it's a shooter problem. It's the Indian, not the arrow. So I learned when I... <laughs> I'm brutally honest with myself about that stuff. We generally figure stuff out a lot quicker and we can move forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny to me that you say most people are quick to blame their equipment because I've always been so quick to blame myself. Like, cause I, and I think just early on, I, I had really good, um, I shop in Texas. Um, shout out to leading edge archery in Texas. Um, <clears throat> just had really good people there who like I trusted and I, I really relied heavily on them at first. Um, cause I, I knew nothing about bows and nothing about setting up a bow. So I, I trusted them and what they knew and, and from what other people would say and all of that. And so when I would be shooting, I would know, like, I trust these people enough to know that my bow is set up how it should be. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I don't know what changes to make. And so I haven't tried to make any changes to it. And anytime I wasn't hitting center, I'm like, watch me. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> like, I obviously, like, I'm still learning. I don't know enough to know. And, and now I know, like, I can even kind of, like you said, I can still hit center and be like, that didn't feel good. Like, right. I don't like how that hit the center because I don't like how that felt. Um, so it's, and I, I hear that too. I hear people like, oh, I got to make an adjustment to my side or, 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 and I jump the trigger sometimes too. And that's, that's obviously a me thing. Um, but yeah, I, I've always been so quick to blame myself. And I think that's, we can get deeper here, a reflection of just like my thoughts around a lot of things. Like I, I'm quick to blame myself on, on much more things beyond archery as well. Um, but yeah, that's interesting both. that you feel like most people will, will kind of blame the bow first because yeah, in my mind, it's never, it's never the bow. It's where did I go wrong? Right. And that will get you much further, much quicker than saying, oh, it's because yeah, uh, I'm shooting this, I'm shooting this elite or I'm shooting this bear or I'm shooting this Hoyt. They don't, I've never shot a Hoyt well. I've never done this, right? Like when you make excuses for yourself, it, it just makes it more difficult for you in the long run. 
And I see plenty of that. You know, I work for a bow shop part-time and people will come in and say, oh, it's the broadhead. Oh, oh, it's these arrows. Oh, it's this bow. I need a new bow. I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever. All right, let's we'll do see it. If this new bow, we'll see if this new bow fixes your problem. Oh, it didn't? Wow. <laughs> do you ever say it? So, yeah, I was going to say, do you ever say that to people? Like, hey, may, or, or maybe you just, like, I think – in that scenario, I would be like, Hey, let's go back and see how you're shooting and like maybe talk them through it. Or I guess sometimes you just give the customer what they want. Like you get the sale at the end so, of the day. Yeah. And you know, at, at my bow shop, it's not about getting the sale. It's about getting stuff set up right for the person. And I'm sure that's how most bow shops are. Um, sure. If I know something for a fact, I can, I will correct people. There's a lot of people hold opinions, you know, things like, oh, mechanicals are terrible. Never shoot a mechanical. Well, mechanicals work. I've used them on every animal I've killed so far in my life. Same. They work very well. I've n- they've never failed on me. Yeah. Um, or people saying you need this heavy of an arrow or with this much front of center. I say, okay, well, that does work, but here's the downsides to that. Mm. So if we go into the equipment side, <laughs> if we go into – you know, some other form issues, I'm, I'm happy to help them and talk them through stuff and give them my two cents of how things look. Cause some people will walk in and they're five foot eight and they say, I have a 31 inch draw length. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> my last boat was 30. It shouldn't have been. That's funny. I, someone said the other day when I was in the bow shop, that draw length becomes like kind of like a dick measuring contest for some guys i said that too and I, we had that conversation <laughs> earlier too yeah 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 you had said that too and i just like i don't get it why right. why like do you do you know why <laughs> yeah so draw length is the number one contributing factor to speed I to guess. how how still you hold um, how steady true. you are okay right that's a number one contributor is, and you'll see it because you'll have professional archers that are playing with D loop lengths by like a 32nd of an inch, or they'll put little, they'll put twists in their cables or their strings to get their draw length perfect because mm. that's the number one contributor. It's not how much weight's on their bars. It's not if they have a front bar and a back bar. It's not any other configuration. Those things help, mm-hmm. but yeah. they're a band aid to the problem. And the, the problem is getting the right draw length. And why it's a dick measuring contest to people, I I don't understand. You know, just subconscious insecurity issues. In my opinion, it's way cooler to hit what you're aiming at all the time because your pin doesn't move <laughs> instead sure. of having a draw length that's an inch too long. Yeah, for sure. In and that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I would, I would agree. And it's funny you say that because I, my elite that I was shooting <laughs> – um, I had dry fired it <laughs> and had to get new limbs and string or, um, new, not limbs, new cams and cams. strings on my boat. I was like, why is the word not coming to my mind? Um, and I was shooting it afterwards. I took it to the bow shop. They set it up, whatever. I was shooting it for a little while afterwards. And I just felt like this bow just does not shoot the same. And I don't know if I ended up telling you this. I just kept feeling like the bow didn't shoot the same. So then this new bow comes in and they're getting that all set up. They measure my draw length just to make sure um, I didn't have it set up wrong on my other one. And sure enough, my draw length, they, when they measured me, they measured it at 25. Um, but I'm, I've, been shooting my elite at 26 and I, it feels like really short um my elite had been set up at 27 inches and like that was why it didn't feel different or that's why it felt so different and why I just feel like I couldn't ever shoot the same anymore and like I got to a point I've since I've had my bow a bow period the longest I've gone without shooting is maybe a couple of days I went three weeks without shooting my bow because I was so tired of just like not being able to shoot well anymore. And it was because Mm -hmm. a whole inch had been added to my draw length and I had no clue. Right. But now you know what it feels like. Now you know what it feels like when your draw length is too long. And the further you get along, the more self-aware you become. I, I mean, I'm nothing special when it comes to shooting a compound, but like I can tell within a quarter inch you know, if my draw length's too long or too short, I don't know if I'm good enough to tell other than that, yeah. but I'm not yeah, certainly I... at the level where the pros are like, oh, I need a twist out of my string. 
I need a yeah. twist into my cable kind of stuff. But I can like at that tournament I shot last weekend, my draw length was a half inch too long. I made it work, but I thought that's where I wanted it. In practice, it was holding pretty good. And then when I got to tournament pressure, it was very swoopy. Mm. So I pay attention to pin movement when I'm trying to get a draw length right. If it's bouncy and bing, 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 it, it's too short. If it's long and swoopy and sometimes drops, the draw length's too long. Hmm. I think maybe I've heard that before, but it was like when I first started. I told you. Uh, no, when I first started shooting, someone had mentioned that too. Did they? And like, I just, I don't, some of those things just go in one ear, out the other, and some things stick. <laughs> and I never know what's going to stick. Um, right. but yeah, it's so, and what's funny though, you say like, now, you know, at the time I had no clue, but mm-hmm. now that I've gone back to where, like when I first picked it up. Um, but now that I've gone back to where it should be and whenever he set this new one up at 26, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> that felt short. Like my normal draw length felt short because for so long I had been drawing back too much. Um, right. and what should have been my number one sign was that I started slapping my arm again when it was too long mm-hmm. because I just had my arm fully extended and able to be able to hold it. Um, so I don't know why that didn't cross my mind when I started slapping my arm again. I was just like, I suck. <laughs> like, I'm giving it up. This is the end. Um, so I want to go and talk a little bit more. We touched like you're a hunter and you've done that as well. You kind of started hunting um, and then kind of got into competing in archery. Do you ever, and maybe I've asked you this before, you have a hunting setup, um, but do you ever hunt with a recurve bow ever? Yes. So I don't know if I have the bow sitting next to me or not. I've got a lot of bows in my room. Um, I've hunted, like this year I hunted with a stick bow. Mm -hmm. I'll grab it right here. So it's an actual stick, right? Mm -hmm. A friend Mm -hmm. of mine from Missouri carved this for me. Oh, that's super cool. Custom for Robbie. 50 pounds at 29 inches. I got a quiver. So like I hunted when it was warm enough to hunt with fingers. I hunted with this quite a bit. Nice. Um, the only, and I killed a coyote with this. Oh, cool. That was cool. Um, but, uh, I killed a button buck with a, with a hunting recurve <laughs> metal riser, carbon limbs, all the fancy stuff. Um, Basically, my barebow rig, but shrunk down with a heavier poundage. I killed a, a button buck with that. Other than that, I haven't killed anything with a stick bow. Um, I do a lot of hunting with a compound. What's the furthest you would feel comfortable shooting at an animal with your stick bow or so I just remembered when you said that. I killed a turkey at 62 yards with a recurve. Nice. Probably nice. not. Probably not ethical, but I did it. <laughs> it died. That's okay. it, I twelve ringed it too. I twelve ringed it. I guess I shot. I've shot two turkeys with a recurve. One was at thirty-five, and the other one was at sixty-two. Nice. Um, I've missed a lot, though. Don't <laughs> don't be too impressed. I've missed a lot of turkeys <laughs> with a with a stick bow. Um, in a, a deer hunting situation out of a tree, I have a – so remember I talked about crawls moving up and down mm-hmm. the string? Okay. Mm-hmm. So on my hunting recurve, I have a 25-yard fixed crawl. So mm-hmm. I, there's, a, there's a knot on my string I specifically go to every single time when I shoot that when that point is on the target at 25 yards, it hits right there. If it's closer, I aim a little bit underneath it. And if it's further, I am a little bit higher and like 30 will be my max mm-hmm. when I'm in the deer woods with that. But it's nice because if you go right underneath the arrow with a, like my setup's 50, 53 pounds, somewhere in there for hunting, you got to aim a long ways below the animal, especially if they're really close and you're in a tree shooting down, it's all kinds of messed up. Right. But if I have that crawl, it shifts the trajectory of the arrow. So like if it's under 25, I aim like maybe this far below its belly line at most it's much more manageable the sight picture is much easier to see 
and much easier to digest, especially since I shoot the bare bow where I aim at what I mm-hmm. want to hit every single time anyway. Mm-hmm. And with the compound, I put the pin on what I want to hit every single time. So with a hunting recurve in a, a tree stand situation, I would say 30 would be my max. With a stick bow, I have a 20-yard fixed crawl mm-hmm. <clears throat> with this, which if any traditional hunters hear that, that's like probably major sacrilegious that I have a fixed crawl because it's a more advanced style on a very primitive bow. So they probably hate me for that. But I can put up like softball size groups at 20 pretty consistently with it. Nice. Which is super cool because that's a piece of wood that somebody carved. It shouldn't shoot that good, but it does. So, (laughs) Uh, Does the bow shoot that good or does Robbie shoot that good? It's a combination. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Robbie, Robbie tuned the bow to get it to shoot that well. And Robbie uh-huh. can shoot pretty well sometimes. <laughs> okay. See, it's the shooter. It's not the equipment. It's the shooter. That's right. That's right. That's right. No, I, I think try that... to be humble though. Try to be humble. Hey, we talked about this. It's okay to be a little confident, to be a lot of confident uh, when you're yeah. a, a pro shooter. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. We gotta, um, we gotta give the people what they want from the give pro the people shooter. what they want. And then with a, a hunting bow, I'll shoot as far as my sight tape lets me. Yeah, okay. Even in a hunting situation? <sighs> yes. <laughs> okay. People are going to hate me for that, but that's fine. It's because, like, when I was practicing this summer to go out to South Dakota to hunt mule deer, my sight tape went to 130. So I was <laughs> shooting one 130 pretty much every day. And, you know, the groups aren't phenomenal right they're the size of like a paper plate so it's not you have to think with in a hunting situation where you're shaky there could be wind you have a broadhead on the front of your arrow all of those things change the group size Mm -hmm. so um i don't unless if i really needed it i probably wouldn't shoot that far the farthest i've shot really far at some critters but like the farthest that i had a legitimate shot at killing it was like 113 in Arizona. Did you? Just, no, the wind. I just misjudged the wind. It was off this cliff at 113 was like the calculated distance in my rangefinder, And it was a right to left wind. The deer was facing left. So I put the pin on its butt mm. and let, let the shot break. And as soon as it broke and I'm like, oh, that's money. And then I just watch the arrow go. <laughs> No. The, the wind caught it too much. So they okay, well, we learned, I guess. We, le- <laughs> we yes. learned. Every, every attempt is a lesson learned. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I just know that when I shoot a, a compound bow, the arrow's going to land where the pin is. And if I can get, if that pin sits still, it's going to go there. And it's just yeah. a question of if I made the right judgment, if there's wind, and if the animal's going to be there when the arrow does, when the arrow gets there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how the terrain is in South Dakota when you're mule deer hunting, but I've even heard a lot, like you kind of said, people are going to hate you because you said you shoot far, but I've heard a lot with antelope hunting, especially with specifically with a bow, like a lot of people are taking 90 plus yard shots because that's the closest you can get. Not because they're choosing to, and they want to show off, but antelope are in open plainsy areas. And sometimes that's the closest that you can get. So I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And the people who I think would say something is wrong with it are like maybe the elk hunters who hunt in thick timber, who never get yeah, the opportunity yeah. to shoot that far. Right. Yeah. No, if to anybody listening, I would much rather have a 20 yard shot. There's <laughs> never a day where I'd be like, you know what? I want to shoot it. I'll shoot it at a hundred. I can get to yeah. 20, but I'm going to shoot it at a hundred instead. That will never happen. Yeah. So, but I mean the mule deer in South Dakota live, you know, they intermingle with the, the antelope. Okay. So they're, similar. they're in the same, the very similar terrain. Okay. The mule deer would... like to bed down in crevices and be in more topographical different areas. Mm-hmm. They'll be in the ditches and they'll be in, higher in the, I don't even know what you call them, bumps. They're not mountains. <laughs> um, and plateau, then the antelope. Ridges. Yeah. We'll call it that, but okay. the antelope, from what I've seen, like to stay on a lot flatter stuff. Okay, yeah. 
I've only ever seen them in like when I'm driving down a highway and there's this vast plot of land and there's a hundred antelope there. <laughs> They're just chilling. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, well, that's, that's what I do with, with the hunting bow. And it's all evaluated when I hit the back wall, right? When I settle into anchor, if that pin's not sitting still, I'm not going to shoot. I shot a doe a few years ago at 89 yards here in Iowa. And, you know, I got to full draw. I settled on her. And then, like, I felt a tickle of wind and it, like, pushed my arm to the other side of her body. Because that's a long ways. And she was, a, like, a yearling. She was not big. And I'm like, oh, maybe we shouldn't shoot this. And then it just went right back to the shoulder and sat. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're shooting this. We're nice. going through with this. <clears throat> I like that. And I, I guess that's never crossed my mind because I feel like most – and this is making a very broad general assumption. So if you're listening and this doesn't relate to you, that's okay. <laughs> um, but I feel like most people, once they're at full draw, like you said you earlier on, you kind of get buck fever or you're kind of just freaking out and like sometimes just all logic, rational thoughts leave your brain. And I feel like most people at full draw just kind of feel like, all right, I'm at full draw, so I have to shoot. And then that's when animals end up getting just injured and you don't actually end up killing the animal. And like, I really like that you emphasize like only shoot if your pin is stable and you feel like your arrow is going to go where your pin is. Um, I'm really like, and I'll even do the same, like on a 3d target, if it's super windy, mm-hmm. like I'll either hold for really freaking ever. <laughs> um, and then once I can't hold anymore, let down, but yeah, I think just, and I say this because that's how I was kind of earlier on. If I was at full draw, it's like, well, I'm sending the arrow no matter what's happening. <laughs> um, so I think that's a really good point to make. What has been your favorite hunt to date? Oh, I really love that Arizona hunt. Mm-hmm. I've done it a few times. That's a really hard one to beat. They're all like, there's a lot of really special things for, for different reasons, right? Like I killed a really good buck this year in Iowa. You did? I hunt in Iowa. I kill, I, I hunt in Iowa all the time. I don't mm-hmm. kill big deer very often, but I hunt in Iowa all the time. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that makes it lose its specialness, but it was with family friends and, you know, my, my brother came out and took pictures and everybody got to be together, like a big camaraderie. And I thought that was really cool. Like that stuff's really special to me. It's not even the deer anymore at that point. It's cool Mm -hmm. that it's big and special and unique, but it's, it's cooler to me that everybody came together and got to hang out and build memories over that one event. But like I'm, I've been, I went to Wyoming to go hunt antelope this year. Like that was super cool. Beautiful country. I've never hunted it before. South Dakota was the first hunt I got to go all by myself. With for mule deer, I was all by myself. I slept in my yeah, car. It was great. Yeah, and you know I've never, aside from driving to my spot here in Iowa and sitting in my tree for the evening and then getting down and coming back home, I've never yeah. hunted alone. I've never been out on my own where everything is my decision. If, if I want to go after that animal, I'm going to go after that animal. I'm not held back <clears throat> or splitting turns with somebody to go after something. I'm not having to negotiate. I think we should go to this spot or this spot with anybody but myself. Yeah. So like, that's really special in itself too. And Arizona is just a, Arizona is a beautiful place. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. I love hunting there. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of opportunities to see deer and stock deer. I've only killed one, but you know, every stock is still special in itself too. Trying to play chess with whatever critter you have in front of you. So I don't, I don't know if there's like a, a favorite hunt, you know what I mean? Every, everything's special to me in one way or another, even the, yeah, no, and I kind of, I like, even the simplest of hunts. No, I like, I like that you emphasize that because I, I kind of can go back and look at, and it's it. Some people are like, oh, there's just one hunt that, like, if I could repeat that hunt, like, I would do that hunt over and over again. But like you said, I think when you're 
kind of putting yourself out there and doing different hunts and experience going to different locations, hunting different game, doing it, like you said, going by yourself for the first time. And question on that one, like I went the last three or four days of September uh, for elk archery season this year in Colorado. Um, I went out by myself and I pulled up to like, it was an area like only an hour away. <clears throat> so I was able to come back home at night. But when I pulled up there, light hasn't broke yet. Like sun's still coming up and I'm not going to lie. I almost cried because I was so afraid to get out of my car and do it by myself. And that like, part of that is like, I'm a female in the woods by myself. Like I had no service where I was. Um, granted I had a garment in reach. So like if something were to happen, I could have used that. Um, but even that doesn't have fast service. And the closest person was a little over an hour away. So I like pulled up and yeah, I was by myself and just like had this moment of I could turn around right now and like this, that could be so much easier. But the second I like got out of my car and like hiked down, um, into the woods was like, I'm so fucking glad that I did that. Did you have right. like a similar moment when you went hunting by yourself for the first time? Yeah. And you know, I, I experienced this when I'm hunting here in Iowa too, but when I was in South Dakota, you watch the sunrise and the sunset, mm -hmm. you're sleeping in your car at, you know, some gravel road in the middle of nowhere and you look outside and you see all the stars. Like there's just really awesome things that you get to experience because you have a bow in your hand and you're chasing animals. You know, I didn't, I didn't get any of these critters I missed. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. but like, I still love that trip and I would happily do it all over again, even with the same outcome of not getting something. Yeah. I love hunting to hunt the whole thing every bit of it, not just the, the harvest. Yeah, I would agree. There's been quite a few locations, even just this year that I've gone that I'm like, had I not been hunting, I would have never been in this spot ever. I, I had, I would have no reason to like, not just a, you're, <coughs> when you're hunting, hunting, you're not on a trail. And if you're hiking, you're on a trail. So you're in these like off areas that you would never mm -hmm. imagine yourself to be in. Um, well, this has been great. We are at an hour here. Um, I end every episode with asking my guest, what does wild strength mean to you? Um, mm -hmm. Interpret that how you see fit. That can be literally strength related, or it can be something like mental strength. Um, I've gotten a variety of answers, but this has been my favorite part of the podcast so far is just seeing a, how people interpret that question um, and, and then B, how they answer it. So Robbie, what does wild strength mean to you? So how I interpret that question is um, with, with wild strength is like what, what makes you stronger to be in, in the wild, in the woods, or just doing what you do. So wild strength to me means just being the most capable person mm -hmm. when you're going into the woods, mentally and physically. Right. We didn't talk much about like physical training or anything like that, but just like taking good care of yourself so you can do the things that you really enjoy to do. Most of the people that listen to this probably really like to hunt. So take mm -hmm. care of yourself so you can really go, go out and do that and do it to the best of your abilities. And then mentally taking care of yourself too, mentally figuring out how to execute your bow perfectly, learning how to take in really awesome moments like that, like that pitch black walk in where you mm -hmm. overcame something that you were scared of or every sunrise that I've seen, every sunset that I've seen, every, every bout of stars, whenever you look up, walking back to your truck in the dark, right? Being able to mentally recognize and appreciate all of those things. <clears throat> in my mind, that's what, what that would be. No, I think that's great. Where can, if people want to follow you on anything or reach out to you or they have questions or they want to learn any tips about shooting <coughs> bear bow or anything like that, where can people find you? So on Instagram, my handle is, I think it, don't laugh, RobbieHood10X. That's my handle on Instagram. And then on Facebook, it's just, I don't know, Robbie Weisinger shoot me over a message and I'm happy to help. There's been a lot of people that have helped me get to the spot where I'm at today. So I have mm -hmm. zero issue paying it forward and helping somebody else if they want it. 
I'm going to be honest, just now when you were like, don't laugh or Robbie Hood, I just put like two and two together, like what your Instagram name is and where it's coming from. There you go. <laughs> oh, man, that took a long time. <laughs> yeah, right, I'm gonna several stop. months, several months, man. You're quick. All right, that's a wrap on another episode of the Wild Strength Podcast. If you enjoyed that episode, the best way to show your support is First, you go and follow the page on Instagram. Uh, I actually did create a TikTok for the podcast now. Um, I'm not the biggest TikTok fan, but it's there and I'm posting. And if that's your jam, go follow it there as well. Um, comment on all of the posts, ask questions, whatever questions you have, um, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to, whether that is Spotify podcast or Apple podcast. Um, and lastly, the videos, the full videos for these podcasts are on YouTube. So go subscribe on YouTube as well and comment there. Once again, that is the best way to show your support and I appreciate it a ton.